We are playing a high stakes game of what if for investors, because it is what if you listen to some very smart people who predicted imminent stock market doom. We've got the math and the price to be paid, the price you may have paid for listening to Armageddonist predictions. That and so much more on this edition of Money with Friends. Welcome to the Money with Friends podcast, certified financial Bobby Rebel, host of the Financial Grown Up podcast, coming to you from my very grown up kitchen, Joe. <laughs> I'm coming to you from snowy Detroit, Michigan, where it's 10 degrees today, the place where we make the Stacky Benjamin show. I'm Joe Salcihai. It's a balmy 23 degrees here in New York City. This is the Money News Show that includes commentary on recent headlines and stories with thought leaders from across the financial landscape. We break them down into what matters to you, our friends, and we leave you with a takeaway to make it your own. Thanks to Round for supporting Money with Friends. Our friends at Round uh, operate a digital consultant that gets members direct access to premium investments. With Round, your money's actively invested with Wall Street's top fund managers. Open a Round account today to get Forbes' number one rated app for high-end investment management. Head to investround.com forward slash MWF for more. And it's funny that we're we're uh, supported by Round today because we're going to talk about some people who I think our friends at Round are not appreciative of, and that is the doom and gloomers. Yes. it's It can be ugly listening to the voice of doom and gloom. So let's uh, dive into this. But first, let's see which one of our friends is going to kick off today's show. Friends, check. Money, check. Friends with money, let's do this. All right. This piece comes to us from Market Watch. I saw this uh, just uh, the other day and thought, oh, this is something we should dive into. This is written by uh, Steve Goldstein. And the piece says, here's the price we pay for listening to Armageddonist predictions from the likes of Soros, Icon, and Gunlatch. Uh, dire predictions of imminent stock market doom are a recurring feature since the 2008 financial crisis, and one fun industry executive has had enough. Michael Sembelist, a chairman of market investment strategy for JP Morgan Asset Management, rounded up apocalyptic easy for me to say, predictions from a range of commentators, including famed investor George Soros, bond market giant Jeffrey Gunlatch, uh, activist Carl Icahn, and New York Times columnist Paul Krugman. He then calculated the consequences of shifting $1 from the S&P 500 stock market index to the Barclays aggregate bond index from the time of those Armageddonist predictions. Easy for you to say, Joe. All right. The article goes on to say that the losses reached as high as 60%. To be sure, of course, the recession will come eventually. But Semblis' point is that the recession would have to be incredibly severe for investors to be rewarded by heeding dire advice. Quote, using rough math, a sustained multi-year bear market with 35% to 45% declines from peak levels would be needed to reverse many of the opportunity losses shown in the chart. Boy, and I'm and I'm looking at this chart, which people can't see. The first uh, call that the end was coming was in 2010 by Noriel Rubini, and then Jeff Gunlatch was uh, the next one in mid 2011. Nope, I take that back. David Rosenberg first, and then uh, Jeff Gunlatch, then uh, Robert Wiedemer. I remember on Stacking Benjamins, Bobby, we we did a lot of these stories. Peter Schiff came in uh, in uh, late 2013. Uh, some other big names, Carl Icahn's and uh, George Soros said the sky was falling in mid-2015. 
15. Um, Paul Krugman was uh, slightly later in uh, just before 2017. Man, you, you listen to these people, 60%, 60% loss of, of, uh, of money had you not stayed invested. Right. And by the way, that is an extreme example. That's saying you didn't invest at all. Most people, I would hope, it's a portion. Maybe they took some money out and put it in cash. And it's not always the worst idea to have diversification. And part of that diversification is to have a certain percentage in cash. But the important thing here, I think, is that, you know, our psychology, people are more afraid, data shows, of losing money than of not making money. But maybe we, we, we need to intellectually step away from that emotional approach and really think about the true cost of, quote, not losing money. Because technically, if you looked at your bank account or your investment account, you didn't lose money if you took their advice, but you did effectively. Well, absolutely. I mean, this is this is where I think, Bobby, that starting with your goal and working backwards helps so much because even if you didn't lose money, you lost so much opportunity cost by being in the wrong place. Um, if you start with the end and where you need to go, and then you look at what rate of return you need to reach that goal, which by the way, is not hard to figure out. There's tons of, 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 uh, places to figure out how much money you need, uh, online all over, but figure out that interest rate and then just stay with those assets that historically over that time frame have done that. You, you would have avoided all this, but I think we get too into, um, listening to all these voices telling us that bad things are going to happen, but, and partly because they know, What's the downside? Like if like if Jeffrey Gunlatch says the sky's falling and it doesn't fall, what's the downside? Versus if he's right, if he's right, everybody's going to say he's right. If he's wrong, everybody except this this analyst that pulled up all this stuff, which I thought was brilliant. Uh, nobody's going to pay attention when they're wrong. I mentioned the idea that you would listen to them and stay in cash, but we do this live in front of a Facebook Live audience. Gregory is making a really insightful point here. And I didn't bring this up. I didn't think of this, but I'm so glad that you did, Greg. You say if you shorted the market, the opportunity cost would have been even greater. Oh, sure. And that's true. So you would have had you shorted the market or whatever, you know, some kind of an index fund, whatever. If you short, if you took a short position, wow. I mean, there's no limit to how much money you can lose shorting. You could really do some serious damage if you took what they said to that level and you did that. Yeah. Actively betting the market's going to go down is a huge mistake. Ray's also hanging out with us uh, here on Facebook and and Ray says he recently read an article. I read the same one uh, just this morning, right? He says uh, where money managers are now scrambling to keep up their returns because they all thought there was going to be a recession. And because of the fact that the doom and gloom didn't happen when they thought it was going to happen, now they're all of a sudden all jumping into stocks. And you know what that means? That means it's probably going to happen tomorrow, right? Well, but also if everyone, I mean, just if you watch the inflows, that's a whole other thing, which I'm not qualified to fully analyze. But if more people are investing for fear of missing out, that FOMO happens very much with investments, that in and of itself can drive investments higher and because it becomes in a virtuous cycle to some level. Part of the problem here is, and this is interesting, by the way, that Round's supporting today's uh, show because Round works with a bunch of, uh, my understanding, talking to uh, Saul Cohen, one of the founders of Round, that they work with a lot of people who are managing private money on Wall Street. And so they're they're not beholden to these uh, things that I'm about to talk about. But a lot of mutual fund managers, the reason, Ray, they're actually buying in has to do with the fact that they're about to report the year... Uh, the, they have to show their positions here as they close out the year. 
And they're scrambling for one reason, which is if they show that they had a ton of money on the sidelines waiting, they're going to lose a bunch of assets from people that do the wrong thing. I mean, most people do the wrong thing with their money by chasing returns. And if they say, well, heck, the stock market did X percent this year, why would they down? Well, look, they have all this money in cash. Sadly, mutual fund managers have to play a quarter by quarter game because of the reporting that they have to do. They can't stick with their convictions. And sure, maybe they're going to be wrong one quarter or two quarters. But if they can hang in there like a lot of the private money managers can, they're much more able to weather the storm and hopefully then come out ahead later on when the thing does hit. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. There's definitely, they call it window dressing. And it's something that is talked about. It's something that can impact returns because people are making decisions, as Ray points out, they're chasing returns and that can be very dangerous because you're kind of covering your tracks for what you did or did not do during the quarter. Sure. Well, which also brings up the investor part. You know, the other thing investors do most often and studies show this, they will look at which uh, at the end of this year, they're going to pull out what did best last year because there's going to be a ton of articles all over the internet about what did best last year, right? And they're going to invest in that. Where studies show that if you invested in actually the fund uh, asset classes that did worse, the worst last year, you actually did better. By the way, the best course of action has always been somewhere in the middle, not investing in what did best or investing in what did worst. But still, if you invested in what did worst, if you're investing what did best, you'll do much better by following some chart that shows the worst asset classes investing there, which is a horrible way to go. Yeah. Amy makes a really good point here about FOMO. She says that dang FOMO gets you almost every time. Thanks, Amy, for your comments. Yeah. It's it's uh, very, very sad. Um, in just a second, Bobby and I are going to have our takeaways from today's piece. But first, I want to talk a little bit about today's sponsor, Round, who who it's it's uh, fortuitous that we're talking about Round today. Round is a digital investment consultant, gets members direct access to premium investments. There's a ton of investment apps on the market. So why go with Round? It's the only one that puts your money to work with the most sophisticated investors that actively invest in the most complex markets. When you invest Invest with a run-of-the-mill investment app. Your money's put into a passive portfolio of generic ETFs that you could easily just find on your own. The asset allocation doesn't change regardless of what's going on in the market. Your money's growth isn't monitored. When you invest with Round, a team of world-class fund managers adjust your asset allocation to weather market volatility. Your portfolio is curated specifically to your timeline, goals, and risk tolerance. Open an account with Round, Forbes' number one rated app for high-end investment management. Head to investround.com forward slash MWF. That's investround.com forward slash MWF. The other thing I like about Round, they don't make money in a month. They waive their fee that month, which is mm-hmm. uh, pretty pretty ballsy. Not a lot of... Well, they effectively have skin in the game. Sure. Not a lot of companies doing that. Let's talk about our takeaways here, Bobby. I think the takeaway might be fairly obvious on this one. Is it? Maybe way, not. So our audience knows, Joe and I do not discuss our takeaways before we record. So he's saying it's very obvious. We could have completely different <laughs> takes on this. And I really don't like it. I don't appreciate it when you put me on the spot. No like pressure. Way. No pressure. No pressure. And I'm going to feel really bad if I don't agree with you because you've now stated that it's completely obvious. And what if I have something out of left field that's nothing like what you're going to say? <laughs> Just saying. All right. Well, do you want me to go first then? Yeah, you go first. Okay, then I'll go first. It's so obvious, Joe. Fine, I'll go first. <laughs> Well, well, mine, actually, I was going to put a little bit less obvious spin on this. 
you know, we were just talking about round and about how they invest and they change your asset allocation. They do that based on investment policy statement. And any good investment professional is going to use an investment policy statement. And that is they start off with your goal. They then work backwards today to what asset classes have gotten you there. And then they stick with that asset allocation. And by the way, the asset allocation, like we just said about with round, the asset allocation sometimes will change. But what does it change? Why does it change? When does it change? It changes based on data, not based on emotions. And the data might be that we're getting closer to the goal. The data might be that we got some news that happened that we didn't expect. You're going to change things, though, not based on your emotional state, which is why a lot of investors lose when they look at the doom and gloom people. I think the doom and gloomers exist specifically as clickbait. It's fantastic advertising for them to say the sky's falling with literally no downside to them being wrong, but a huge upside if they're right, because everybody then gets to call them a genius. Okay. So I didn't, I don't have the same takeaway. (laughs) Since it was so obvious, I really like that. I feel like I'm getting the benefit of wise, of wisdom from Joe, the financial planner, <laughs> hearing that. So I loved what you had to say and I'm embracing it. But I also would say, having worked in the media and talking about clickbait, yes, you can absolutely get the attention from the negativity, but you get better attention. If you're going to go out there and you really want to get attention, you go out there with a big call that a stock that's at, you know, 50 is going to go to 400. And that's a win-win because everybody wants you to be right by definition. And so if you're right, you're a hero. And if you're not right, you're just not right yet is what you'll say because eventually it's (laughs) going to get there. So they say, anyway, so my takeaway, and this is more coming from the journalist point of view, not the financial planner point of view, is to stay away from the drama and don't take things to extremes. It is more than okay to diversify and listen to lots of opinions, but don't get so caught up in protecting from the downside that you lose the opportunities on the upside. Historical performance is no guarantee of future performance, but it's a good thing to consider. I think our takeaways, although not the same, very congruent. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. They both come from a good place in our hearts, I think. Maybe. That, maybe I think that's Although I don't know if mine was the obvious one, Joe. I thought yours was <laughs> incredibly obvious. It was the other half. It was, it the was, other, half it was the, the other half of the obvious. Sure. Uh, thanks to everybody for hanging out with us today. On some of these, we play games uh, on Facebook where we involve you even more. Today, we got a lot of great help from our Facebook audience. If you want to hang out with us on Facebook while we make the show, for now, it's uh, facebook.com forward slash iStackBenjamins. That might be changing. We'll talk about that more in the future. But Bobby, they can also join us on Instagram to help us prep for the show. Where do the people do that? Yes, we often post uh, previews of our stories and audience participation questions, polls, and so on on our Instagram channel at Money Friends Pod. That is also our handle for Twitter. You can uh, get more follow-ups about our topics and info about our sponsors by following us on all of our channels at Money Friends Pod. And if you want to see things like the chart that we were talking about in today's story, that is always available on our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. Go to the day that this show first dropped and you can see there the link to the story discussed. Awesome. That's going to do it for today, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us on Money with Friends. On behalf of Bobby, I'm Joe. We'll see you again uh, on Monday where, guess what? You get the two of us again talking. We got a really important topic on Monday, Bobby. I'm not going to foreshadow it, though. We're going to let people tune in then. 
This show is created and hosted by Joe Saul Sihai and Bobby Rebel, and is a joint venture of BRK Media LLC and Stacking Benjamins LLC, copyright 2019. Taylor Eichenberg engineered this show, and Ashley Wall is the producer. For a list of our friends who appear on the podcast, head to our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. You can also check out our schedule for upcoming recording sessions so you can join us and be part of the show. As with anything, remember you shouldn't take advice from any of us or any other video or podcast without first talking to your financial advisor and that the people in this episode are here for your and their entertainment purposes only. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you back here next time with another episode of Money with Friends.